Hello there, this is Vaughan Benison. Welcome to this extended podcast. This is Blind Citizens News for April of 2020. The presenter of this podcast is Glenn Morrow and it's been broken up into chapters for your convenience. The next thing you'll hear is the introduction to Blind Citizens News and if you wait a little while, you'll hear a table of contents. You can just use your normal movement commands that you would use for moving throughout a podcast and it will move you chapter by chapter. Blind Citizens News April 2020, published by Blind Citizens Australia, ABN 90-006-985-226. Blind Citizens Australia is the national representative organisation of people who are blind or vision impaired. Our mission is to inform, connect and empower Australians who are blind or vision impaired and the broader community. Copyright. Reproduction of articles appearing in Blind Citizens News is permitted, provided Blind Citizens News and the authors are acknowledged. Large print ISSN 1441449X. Braille ISSN 1441565. Blind Citizens Australia contact details. Ross House, Level 3, 247 to 251 Flinders Lane, Melbourne, Vic 3000. Telephone 0396541400. Toll free 1800-033-660. SMS 0488-824-623. Email bca at bca.org.au. Website www.bca.org.au Facebook www.facebook.com forward slash Blind Citizens Australia Twitter at AU underscore BCA Blind Citizens News is distributed in large print, braille and audio. Electronic copies in text format are available from our webpage, on CD or by email. If you would like to receive Blind Citizens News in another format, please contact Blind Citizens Australia on 1800-033-660. Other publications, New Horizons radio program and podcast, Blind Citizens Australia annual report. Blind Citizens Australia staff, Chief Executive Officer Emma Benison, Executive Assistant Joe Marshall, General Manager Operations Angela Jeske. General Manager, Projects and Engagement, Sally Orish. Policy Officer, Jane Britt. National Advocacy Projects Officer, Ricky Chaplin. Advocacy Officer, Martin Stewart. Manager, Finance and Administration, Tony Grant. Information and Administrations Officer, Samantha Marsh. Communications Assistant, Anna Briggs. Fundraising and Communications Consultant, Kathy Elliott. Project Officer Naomi Barber. New South Wales ACT Administration and Communications Officer Jennifer Parry. Table of Contents. Track 1. Opening Announcement. Track 2. Introduction. Track 3. This Table of Contents. Track 4. Editor's Note. Track 5. Editorial. Track 6. Travelling Alone. A First Timer's Perspective. Track 7. Australian Disability Parking Permits, a win in Queensland. Track 8. Register for upcoming training in our aged care and service provider resources.
Track 9. When blindness isn't your only disability. Track 10. The stranger on the bus. Track 11. An eye to the future of employment. Track 12. BCA's bedrock for the future. Track 13. Update to the BCA member database. Track 14. From anger to acumen, the advocacy of Martin Stewart. Track 15. Feedback for BCA. Track 16. How to make a complaint about BCA. Track 17. Funding and donations for BCA. Track 18. Submit your writing to Blind Citizens News. Track 19. Directory of contact details. Track 20. New Horizons radio broadcast schedule. Editor's note. Blind Citizens Australia refers to our members as people who are blind or vision impaired. However, we respect the right of individual authors to use whatever language is most comfortable for them. Editorial by Jonathan Craig. Let's talk about Stevie Wonder. Is that an outtake from his weird concept album Journey Through the Secret Life of Planets I Hear? Or is it the sound of all of you groaning? Okay, so let's talk about why you don't want to talk about Stevie Wonder. I understand, of course. As one of the most well-known people who are blind in the world, he is, for many, the only point of reference, and thus a predictable point of comparison. I've heard many stories of people being manhandled towards pianos to show off their presumed musical genius. It gets much worse if you have ever shown any interest in music at all. For someone who is thought of as our most prominent living spokesman, Wonder speaks surprisingly rarely about living with blindness. There are certainly examples. He used a speech at the Grammy Awards to call for better accessibility. Usually, though, he chooses to engage with it playfully, like when he appeared in the driver's seat at the beginning of his carpool karaoke segment. He most succinctly summed up his point of view on the topic when he explained that since he'd known nothing else, he wasn't that interested in talking about it. Stevie's blind. Please, he said. It's a fact, but it's not important to me. This is a very familiar sentiment, which Chrissy Brinkat grapples with in her brilliant piece later this issue. Many of us don't want to be defined by how much vision we have. I've been similarly hesitant to discuss my experience of blindness, for fear of becoming trapped by it. Forever, that blind writer. But for others, Wonder's approach feels like a wasted opportunity. One of the top questions people ask about him on Google is, is Stevie Wonder really blind? There are hundreds of YouTube videos exploring this conspiracy theory, micro-analyzing videos and TV appearances to prove he's faking it. Because No real blind person could achieve what he has. We don't have the luxury of avoiding those people the way he can. We constantly have to face down society's low expectations of us. To defend ourselves against challenges like how can you watch a movie or how do you use the internet? 
As far as I'm aware, he's only addressed the theory once. As he walked out of LAX, a photographer asked him whether the rumour was true. I'll always tell you the date and time, he replied, as his entourage ushered him towards his limo. Why has he been so quiet about such a ridiculous accusation? A short interview explaining how he conducts daily tasks could have put the idea to bed forever. And everyone who saw it would have been less likely to ignore us and speak to our sighted friends when we enter a shop or double-take when we talk about going to work. Why couldn't Stevie Wonder, just once, use his platform to be a teachable moment for the sake of his peers? PCA's president, John Simpson, was born less than three years before Stevie. Though there are very few comparisons we can reasonably draw between them, they grew up in similar times with some of the same technology and might have dealt with similar attitudes towards vision impairment. But Simpson seems to have taken a very different approach. This year, he was appointed as a member of the Order of Australia for his outstanding service to Australians who are blind or vision impaired. At the end of his recent interview on New Horizons, John said the honour was as much a reflection on our organisation as on him personally. I want to take this opportunity to work with BCA to celebrate the award from that point of view, he said. Through decades of paid and volunteer work, John has dedicated himself to making society safer, more inclusive and more empowering for us. His selflessness and energy set an example I know I will never match. In this issue, you'll also read more about Martin Stewart's remarkable achievements in decades of advocacy work. You'll read about the vital work of BCA founders Hugh Jeffrey and David Blythe, whose forward thinking made BCA what it is today. And you'll read about Leonie Barber, who decided to undertake a long and arduous fight with the Queensland government, not just for herself, but for others like her, concerned about their safety. Given my admiration for these people, do I think Stevie Wonder is wrong for not doing more advocacy work? Not really. Because of his celebrity, his life is very unlike a typical person in most ways. His wealth has probably given him access to the best adaptive tech in the world. He has a choice whether or not to deal with the practical issues we face on a daily basis. I don't begrudge him any of that, by the way. Through the albums and concert tickets I've bought, I'm sure I've funded a talking microwave or something. And I hope he loves it. But I also think his experience of blindness differs so much from most of ours that I don't know how well he can really represent us. There is more he could say and do, of course, but I don't believe he has an obligation to dedicate his public speech to a cause he's not passionate about. And I'm sure the very fact of his public life has ultimately done more good than harm to the way we're perceived, even if there is a long way yet to go.
I believe I had the right to never mention blindness in my work. Just as Wonder isn't being deceptive when he talks about seeing in his lyrics. I saw problems I felt I could address, and had ideas I felt were valuable to our community. I'm happy with my choice, because it was my decision, not my duty. If we judge Stevie Wonder's choices, then we're prescribing the right and wrong way to approach living with blindness, and I'm not comfortable with that. But I think we clearly need both kinds of people. Behind Wonder's success was the work of countless advocates who removed barriers and built systems so his natural talent could get the attention it deserved. His freedom, unfortunately, may still be the exception, not the rule. Up until 1985, the Royal Victorian Institute for the Blind, an organisation whose very name was a promise to stand up for us, was still employing us in workshops for laughably low wages. How many people in his generation missed out on reaching their full potential because they'd never met the right people or had the right resources? The workshops may be mostly a thing of the past, but the battle for better employment opportunities is still one of BCA's top priorities today. There are still barriers that need breaking down and more systems that need building so we can all have the same opportunities everyone else does. We may not think much about how well our eyes work, but society does. And even a visionary who inspired generations of musicians can't fully escape the gravity of that fact. So here's to Stevie Wonder, the pioneering musical genius. And here's to John Simpson, AM. To all who came before him and all who will follow in his footsteps. Tireless advocates working toward a world where blindness can be as important or unimportant to us as we want it to be. Travelling Alone, A First Timer's Perspective by Dean Calder Like many people, I had the desire to have an overseas travel adventure. However, being totally blind meant there were some obvious obstacles I would need to overcome to make this possible. How would I get around in an unfamiliar hotel? And what's more, an unfamiliar city? I don't have the best mobility skills in the world, so investigating an unfamiliar city alone wasn't a practical option. But with some research and planning, well, maybe a lot of research and a lot of planning, I was able to find a way to have a fantastic adventure. The starting point for my plans was the discovery by a family member of a travel company that specialises in tours for vision-impaired travellers. The groups are made up of vision-impaired tourists who pay the full rate and sighted people who pay a discount rate in exchange for their support and assistance. This includes buddying up for mealtimes and providing descriptions of what they can see when out and about. There were a lot of tours to choose from, and it took some time to 
work out the best options for me. But eventually, I settled on two short trips. The first to Winchester in the south of England, and the second to Copenhagen in Denmark. Both tours departed from London, so the next step was booking flights to London and working out what I was going to do there, and how I was going to do it, in between the two excursions. We searched for accommodation, prioritising a restaurant on site, a laundry service and 24-hour reception just in case. My sister researched some options for hiring support workers in London and found that Airtasker was a good platform to find people to suit my needs. She posted an ad including the dates when support would be required and ended up hiring two different carers to assist over several shifts. The messages flowed back and forth with the support workers, making plans and working out an itinerary for my time in London. And then the day finally arrived for me to go, and excitement filled my mind. The flight attendants were very helpful, taking me for regular walks and assisting me in any way that they could. During a part of the flight I felt disoriented as I'd lost track of time and wasn't able to access the flight map and had no sense of where we were. I was so grateful for the really understanding flight attendant who helped talk me through it. I was relieved to finally land at Heathrow Airport. However, finding out that my luggage had not made it there was a real blow. All I had were the clothes on my back and a backpack with my MP3 player and phone. What followed was stressful as it's not easy dealing with airlines. However, everyone was helpful and although I had to wait almost 48 hours for my much-needed fresh clothes, it was a chance to practice my self-advocacy skills and I realised just how important they are. I informed the hotel reception of my predicament when I checked in, and they assisted me in following up with the airline. They also helped me to charge my phone via the hotel TV, since the charges were in the missing suitcase. I visited the Tower of London, Buckingham Palace, Borough Markets, Hyde Park, Brixton, and quite a few pubs, with the assistance of my support workers. I also had the chance to be in the live studio audience for a taping of Adam Hill's show, The Last Leg, which was fantastic. In Winchester, we did a walking tour of the town, visited the famous Stonehenge, Winchester Cathedral, and the Bombay Sapphire Gin Distillery. And in Copenhagen, we visited the Tivoli Gardens theme park, witnessed the changing of the guards, and walked through the botanical gardens. On the last morning, we had some free time, so we visited the Hans Christian Andersen and the Guinness World Book of Records Museum. Public transport in Copenhagen is so frequent, and the stations are in good condition. There are no audible traffic signals, but there are tactiles underfoot, and also cobbled streets in both London and Copenhagen. For anyone wishing to travel but feeling overwhelmed by the task of making it happen, I would really recommend looking into the options and researching tips from other vision-impaired travellers.
Planning is crucial and time-consuming, but for me, it has been totally worth it. I am happy to share my experiences and tips with anyone who is interested in travelling independently. I think it's safe to say I have the travel bug. Australian Disability Parking Permits, A Win in Queensland by Martin Stewart and Angela Jeske. If you subscribe to Blind Citizens Australia's email lists, you should have heard of a significant advocacy win for Leonie Barber and for Queenslanders who are blind or vision impaired who wish to apply for the Australian Disability Parking Permit. The journey to this victory was a long one and, is often the case, involved a lot of hard work from a range of people and organisations. BCA acknowledges that there have been different views within our membership as to whether people who are blind or vision impaired should be eligible for a parking permit. Following significant feedback and a request to reconsider this issue, the National Policy Council developed a new position statement, which was approved by the Board in November 2018. This position statement outlines BCA's position that people who are blind or vision impaired should have the choice to access accessible parking and to encourage consistency across Australia in eligibility and conditions of use. Through our consultation on this matter, the main concerns that members raised were in relation to safety in car parks. With the increased prevalence of hybrid and electric vehicles, it is more difficult to hear and identify vehicles moving in car parks, especially when they are travelling at slow speed. Concerns were also raised regarding the extra space required when travelling with dog guides, as well as those travelling with children and with mobility aids. Leonie Barber, a long-term member who lives in far north Queensland, contacted BCA in mid-2019, outlining her frustrations in accessing a parking permit. Leonie raised concerns in safely navigating car parks in her local area, for her and her dog guide. In preparing to apply for a disability parking permit, Leonie consulted BCA's advocacy team, where Martin Stewart worked with Leonie throughout the process. With Leonie confidently leading her self-advocacy efforts, Martin supported the process along the way. Martin made contact with the major state political parties in Queensland to garner support, leading to promotion of the issue through local ABC radio and TV. This showed a true partnership with the combined efforts and a lot of hard work eventually gaining results. The long-term campaigning efforts of Guide Dogs Queensland were a crucial part of this work. They researched the topic, undertook surveys and shared their findings with government and others in decision-making positions, which helped raise awareness of this important issue and contributed to a successful outcome. Blindness and vision impairment are not among the eligibility criteria for the parking permit in Queensland, but Leonie decided she would make an application regardless to highlight the accessibility issues she experienced in car parks and how a parking permit would promote safety and accessibility for her. 
When the initial application was not approved, Leone decided to further her case by reviewing the decision through the Queensland Civil and Administrative Tribunal. PCA supported her choice, acknowledging that this would be a difficult procedure, but had the potential to make lasting change. Throughout the process, it was found that many of the review forms and government communications were inaccessible, which prompted another level of advocacy in ensuring Leone and others could access information independently. After months of hard work and Leone's unending energy, Queensland's Minister for Transport and Main Roads, Mark Bailey, announced on ABC Radio at the end of November 2019, in Leone's presence, that the government would change their legislation to allow people who are blind or vision impaired to apply for the Australian Disability Parking Permit. The process of amending the legislation will happen in early 2020, and people who are blind or vision impaired will be able to apply for an Australian Disability Parking Permit from July 2020. This is an example of how self-advocacy with some support coordinated in a cohesive campaign can lead to positive outcomes for individuals as well as for the broader community. These outcomes at a state government level can also leverage change and consistency in other Australian states. Through individual advocacy support, as well as through our local branches, BCA will continue to work with members and the broader community to promote accessibility for people who are blind or vision impaired. Register for upcoming training in our aged care and service provider resources by Jane Britt. Service Providers Expectation Policy Resource Training What is the Service Provider's Expectation Policy and Resource? The Service Provider's Expectation Policy has been developed to assist members in receiving services from blindness service providers. An accompanying resource, a checklist, has been recently developed to help members ask essential questions about any service they might be receiving. What is the training about? BCA will be running training sessions about the resource. The training will cover the basics of the service provider expectations policy, present an overview of the resource and explore how it can be used. The training will also explore best practice in service delivery through examples. How do I join in the training? BCA members are invited to join training via teleconference. Two teleconferences will be held using Zoom on Wednesday 15th of April from 7.30 to 9pm Australian Eastern Standard Time, Thursday 16th of April 11am to 12.30pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Make sure you register quickly since places for training are limited. To register for training, please email bca at bca.org.au or call 1-800-033-660. Zoom details for the meeting will be provided after you have registered. Aged Care Resource Training Do you want to know more about aged care but don't know where to start? BCA's training on our suite of aged care resources or fact sheets will help you. What are the aged care resources? BCA has recently developed some resources, 
a series of fact sheets to assist anyone who wants to understand aged care, how to register for it, what it provides and other key information. What else does the training cover? Other key topics will include a glossary demystifying some of the aged care language, key contacts that could help you or anyone you are supporting, an explanation of what home care packages and Commonwealth home support programs offer, fees, complaints, processes and more. How do I join in the training? BCA will deliver training in these resources in early May, exploring what is in the fact sheets, how the fact sheets can be used with some case studies. BCA members are invited to join training via teleconference. Two teleconferences will be held using Zoom on Wednesday the 6th of May from 7.30 to 9pm Australian Eastern Standard Time and Thursday the 7th of May from 11am till 12.30pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Make sure you register quickly since places for training are limited. To register for training, please email bca at bca.org.au or call 1-800-033-660. Zoom details for the meeting will be provided after you have registered. When Blindness Isn't Your Only Disability by Crystal Malcolm For many of us, blindness or vision impairment isn't our only diagnosis. Often, an additional disability or medical condition presents a variety of different challenges, which can have unpredictable impacts on the way we live with blindness. During our 2019 National Convention, Steve Richardson moderated a panel on the topic, and it was clear that there was much more to be said than could fit in a one-hour session. We recognised the need for a space for those of us who are blind or vision impaired and have an additional disability or medical condition. As a result, the multiple disability email list was created. The email list allows for general discussion around anything that relates to being blind or vision impaired and having an additional disability or medical condition. If you'd like to join in the conversation, you can contact BCA on 1-800-033-660 or email bca at pca.org.au. In recognition of the many people who are blind or vision impaired and have an additional disability or medical condition, New Horizons ran a series on people with multiple disabilities earlier this year. The series, spanning episodes 638 to 643, featured BCA members talking about how conditions like hearing impairment and brittle bones changed the way their blindness impacts on them as well as how they are perceived within our community and society generally. It's available for download via the BCA website or through your favourite podcast app. The Stranger on the Bus by Chrissy Brinkat I don't know you, but you think you know me. I've got my headphones in and I'm just getting to the really good bit in my book. I'm on the way home from work. I've had a long day. I'm tired, hungry, and most likely in need of caffeine. I'm approximately 17,000 miles from my home city. Give or take. I shouldn't be, but I'm always a little surprised to meet you again. 
you may have gone unnoticed, except for the telltale flump as you occupy the seat beside me, and a slight rustle as you arrange plastic shopping bags at your feet. Your chatter is instantaneous. I'm not giving any signs that I'm up for a chat, but this doesn't deter you. My parents taught me good manners, so I'll oblige you because, well, it's the polite thing to do, after all. I'm a 27-year-old master's student who loves to read, write, travel and eat. I have long, somewhat untamable curly dark hair. I am moderately uncomfortable with ceremony, particularly if I end up in the centre of it. I laugh at my own jokes. Sometimes they are funny, more often they aren't. I will watch the same episode of a program over and over again and still laugh in all the exact same places. I have always hated having milk on cereal. I have never broken a bone in my body. My favourite colours to wear are blues and greens. When I was small, I had to be trained to like chocolate. Weird, huh? I also happen to be blind. Whether consciously or not, it's that last point that you notice first, courtesy of one white stick and a general difficulty making eye contact. The struggle is real, guys. Before you know it, I'm being verbally examined on my daily life and frantically trying to explain how I do the most mundane of tasks. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has had encounters like this. I used to find them frustrating because I was so used to my life with very little sight that it never occurred to me that to a lot of people it actually wasn't the norm. I would get so busy in my routine, travelling from point A to point B, going to work, studying, etc., that I would sometimes just plain forget that the majority of the world do all these things with an extra sense. Quite some time ago, I took a moment to stop and think about how different people actually are from one another. Some differences, like a vision or hearing impairment, are noticeable straight away. Others, like a mental illness or learning difficulty, are not. If I were to meet someone who could not, for example, use their arms or legs, or someone who was living with a severe mental illness, who is to say that I would not have a host of questions of my own? Humans are innately curious creatures. And that's a hell of a lot better than ignorance. So, dear stranger on the bus, I'll do my best to satisfy your curiosity. The most common question I get asked is, how much can you actually see? It's a fair question, and one that people aren't always comfortable asking. The short answer is that my vision is pretty much limited to light and shadow. I do not see total blackness. In fact, my eyes are particularly sensitive to light, especially when there is contrast. This means that my eyes respond to light in a relatively normal way. Darkness makes me sleepy. Light keeps me awake, just as it would the average person, I suppose. 
The shadow part of my vision frustrates me a lot at times. When I see a shadow in front of me, for example, a wall, a pole, a car, it simply looks like a darker patch, contrasted against its lighter surroundings. This means I don't see any detail, colour or any further feedback about the object, except whether it is above my head height or not. Chances are, if it's below my head height, I probably won't see it. I also can't seem to judge distances at all. For example, when walking through a cafe, if there is a bank of tables coming up ahead, I can't tell how far to either side they reach, or whether there is a gap big enough to walk through on either side. Yes, I do use a stick to get around. No, I don't have a dog. Yes, I do think they are pretty cute. Yes, my computer talks. Yes, my phone talks. Yes, sometimes they both drive me absolutely bonkers. I get a real kick out of travelling. I get a huge thrill out of not knowing what the next day will bring, where I might go and who I might meet. I am fascinated by new accents, by new foods, by really feeling what it would be like in an entirely new place that I've never set foot in before. Of course, there are moments when I don't feel so brave. Anyone who says they aren't is definitely lying. But it is not a lack of sight that scares me. It is the typical everyday thoughts that you worry about when you're travelling. The thought of being robbed, losing my passport, running out of money. It is the thought of being left behind, that everything will have changed when I return, that my life will have moved on without me in it, that people will have become used to living without me, will no longer need me, that I'll fall in love with a city thousands of miles away from my hometown, that I'll find my ideal job on the other side of the world that I'll never want to stop travelling, that I'm not feeling as homesick as I should, and that, damn, when it's all over, I still don't really know what I want to do with my life. By this point, you've either nodded off to sleep, or, at the very least, got more than you bargained for. If you're still with me and fully conscious, you've likely figured out that I'm actually pretty ordinary after all, and that I'm just doing what you're doing, and what everyone else on the bus is probably doing, muddling along the best way I know how. An Eye to the Future of Employment by Sally Ulrich. BCA is currently working on the Eye to the Future project. This work aims to change the perceptions associated with employing people who are blind or vision impaired. The project was made possible through a grant by the National Disability Insurance Agency's Information Linkages and Capacity Building Program. As part of the project, BCA has created the Eye to the Future website, eyetothefuture.com.au, which contains employment-related resources, tools and information. We have created a series of short videos showcasing people who are blind or vision impaired who are currently working in a range of industries and environments. We have also launched the Eye to the Future Facebook group, 
a place where those who are looking for work, looking to change careers, or who are in the workforce can discuss all things employment, sharing their advice and experience. You can join the group and contribute to the discussion by searching for Eye to the Future on Facebook. BCA is also working with employers to create paid internships. These internships will enable participants the opportunity to develop their employment skills and demonstrate to employers that hiring people who are blind or vision impaired is a great way to access a largely untapped pool of talent, skills, knowledge and experience. The first two internships for Vision 2020 and Guide Dogs New South Wales were advertised in early March. All of the internships will be advertised on the Eye to the Future website as they become available, so we encourage you to visit regularly. The project will conclude later this year when we host an employment symposium. We will be inviting recruiters and those with the power to influence hiring practices to join us as we continue to discuss and dispel the myths associated with hiring a person who is blind or vision impaired. For more information about the project or if the organisation you work for is interested in creating an internship, please call Naomi Barber on one 800 or email bca at bca.org.au. BCA's Bedrock for the Future by Bill Jolly. The purpose of this article is to give readers information about the Jeffrey Blythe Foundation and to seek your consideration of making a donation or leaving a bequest to the foundation to support the long-term sustainability of Blind Citizens Australia. When Blind Citizens Australia was founded 45 years ago by David Blythe, Hugh Jeffries and others, they worked hard to build the organisation and create change. They grew the membership and formed local branches. They challenged the existing norms and cultures that pervaded services and societal attitudes towards blind people. They advocated for new services and a more accessible environment. And eventually, their cogent arguments for the very right to exist and speak for ourselves as a national consumer-based organisation prevailed. As BCA consolidated internally, generated widespread acceptance and recognition and took its place in the mainstream of organisations for people with disabilities, attention turned to ensuring the long-term sustainability of the organisation through a mix of recurrent funding from government, members and the broader community. It was the long-held dream of Hugh Jeffrey that BCA should have the support of a perpetual endowment to enable it to give attention to priority issues determined by the board with the maximum possible autonomy rather than operating subject to the constraints imposed by government contracts or grants from other sources. He and David Blythe formed a strong partnership to get something done about it. Accordingly, the Jeffrey Blythe Foundation was established in 1995 to create a capital base to support BCA's work and independence. 
The foundation makes regular contributions to BCA, with grants this year totaling $154,000. In November 2017, the Association of Blind Citizens of New South Wales made a substantial contribution to the foundation, on the condition that a sub-fund, to be known as the Shirley Fund, be established. Disbursements from the Shirley Fund were to be given in support of the work of the association or its successors in New South Wales and the ACT or to other projects benefiting people who are blind or vision impaired in New South Wales or the ACT. Later that year, the association merged with BCA, which therefore became the successor-in-law to the association. The Foundation therefore has two funds. The General Fund, which may be spent for the benefit of blind or vision impaired people throughout Australia, and the Shirley Fund, which may be spent for the benefit of blind or vision impaired people in New South Wales or the ACT. It is currently the policy of the Geoffrey Blythe Foundation that disbursements from these two sub-funds are confined to Blind Citizens Australia. The Geoffrey Blythe Foundation is a public ancillary fund. As such, gifts to the foundation are tax-deductible. The foundation is required to regularly solicit donations from the public, and the foundation must disperse a minimum of 4% of its net assets to its beneficiaries each year. As Chair of the Foundation, I am supported by fellow directors David Blythe, Ashley Blythe, Michael Simpson, Marianne Diamond and Graham Innes. Our Funds Manager is Shaw and Partners. A donation or bequest to the Geoffrey Blythe Foundation is a great way to give long-term support to Blind Citizens Australia. The critical importance of the Foundation's grants to BCA is that they allow the BCA Board full autonomy in setting its expenditure priorities. It lets BCA give attention to areas of need, be they membership support and development, critical infrastructure or policy campaigns. Please think about the information shared in this article and the ideas I have raised. I do hope that those of you able to do so will look favourably on donating to the Jeffrey Blythe Foundation or remembering the foundation in your will to continue BCA's vital work when you are no longer able to do so. For more information, please contact the BCA office or me directly using the contact details at the end of this issue. Update to the BCA Member Database by Sally Orish. In early 2019, Blind Citizens Australia received funding through the National Disability Insurance Agency's Information Linkages and Capacity Building Grant Program to invest in a new membership database. In preparation for this, over the past several months, we have been undertaking a cleanse of our current database. This has involved staff contacting all members by phone to confirm their contact details and preferred format to receive material. We have also been offering members the opportunity to participate in a short survey about the work of BCA. We have now completed this process. If you haven't heard from us, there could be a few reasons why. You might have missed our calls, or the number we have for you might be incorrect. 
If you haven't spoken to us, please let us know by calling us on 1800 033 or emailing us at bca at bca.org.au. We can get in touch with you and confirm the details we have for you are up to date and make sure we are sending information to you in your preferred format. From Anger to Acumen, The Advocacy of Martin Stewart by Anya Humberg. Editor's Note. This piece was originally written for the Disability Resources Centre's Leadership Series, highlighting the work of some of our greatest advocates. I chose to reprint it here in order to ensure it reaches the widest possible audience. I also think it fits perfectly into the conversation within the magazine around the history and future of advocacy and follows up on some of our previous coverage of Martin, who was, of course, the recipient of the David Blythe Award at last year's convention. Homburg's research for this piece was impeccable, but unfortunately the complexities of our various formats means that her footnotes couldn't be included here. To see them, as well as some great photography, please download the version of the article posted on the DRC website, which is available as a PDF or Word document. For many years, Martin Stewart was driven by anger. It's an understandable stance. Blind from birth, his childhood was marred by abuse, his education limited by ableism, and his early working life characterised by low wages and poor conditions. Under the circumstances, anger seemed an entirely appropriate emotion to be carrying around. It was also powerful. Martin's indignation into the face of injustice drove him to be one of the state's most effective disability activists. But one day in the 1980s, while rolling headfirst down a flight of stairs, Martin began to wonder if his anger was serving him or indeed his cause. He had met a friend at the Royal Victorian Institute for the Blind for lunch, Assuming he was there to make trouble, the Institute had the police escort him from the premises. Officers shoved him down a flight of stairs, one of them shouting, Bloody Gandhi, after him, which I regarded as a very high compliment, he says, and I told them so as I was rolling. He laughs at the memory, then his face changes as he recalls the realisation that landed with him at the base of the stairs. I thought, okay, we've got an issue here. There's an obvious view that I'm always fighting, that I would never just be out for lunch with a friend. I've got to try and change people's view of me. It was a moment of self-reflection that would transform Martin's career. He sought out the help of an influential friend, World Blind Union President David Blythe, learnt to be more diplomatic in his approach, and eventually gained the ears of people who had once considered him an adversary. He gained more than their ears. Martin would sit on the Victorian Institute for the Blind's Conciliation Group, then its industrial board. I sat at the very board tables that used to sit against me he says. You can, without selling out, persist with the same viewpoints, but collaborate your language and posture 
in order to get acceptance. He became so well respected amongst both activists and institutions that he was named 2018 Blind Australian of the Year. The transformation that led to this accolade was remarkable, but unsurprisingly, it was neither quick nor painless. It began when Martin moved to Melbourne from his native Sydney and started working for the Royal Victorian Institute for the Blind, RVIB. His arrival there would spark one of the country's most well-known workers' rights movements. The right for people with disabilities working in sheltered workshops to be given fair wages, complaints mechanisms and proper treatment. Even RVIB's own history acknowledges his influence, saying it is difficult to tell whether anything would have occurred if Martin Stewart had not started to work at the factory in June 1985. At first, Stewart wasn't sure if his concerns were justified. He felt the wages at the factory were unfairly low, the conditions poor, and the absence of complaints mechanisms worrying. But it was after speaking to other workers that I knew something had to be done. This was affecting all workers. We set out forming a collective and had a meeting. And the rest is history. Good history, he says. That history can be found in the Age newspaper archives from July to December 1985. Yes, July, a month after Martin began working at RVIB. The man wastes no time. Martin and others formed People for Equality Not Institutionalisation, Penny, and staged several protests over the coming months. They once broke into the RVIB Executive Director's office to stage a sit-in, and eventually joined forces with the Blind Workers' Union to stage multiple strikes for fair wages. In November 1985, the final strike ended when a government-appointed arbitrator found in favour of the union, requiring RVIB to pay full pay indexation to all employees, backdating to 1983. That very same month, Tony Lawson's report about Penny's grievances relating to RVIB was published. The report seconded Penny's calls for an independent hotline for people with disabilities wanting to complain about service providers and an enforceable code of conduct guiding the fundraising practices of charities. Because of the heavy dependency which people with disabilities have upon service providers like the RVIB, I believe the consumer doubts about the efficiency and independence of in-house complaints and appeals procedures are justified, Lawson said. We did a lot of celebrating that month, Martin recalls with a smile. The movement that sprung out of issues at RVIB set the stage for the transformation in disability law and marked the beginning of the end of institutionalisation as the dominant model for disability service in Australia. Given the challenging new era his employment ushered in and his tendency to break into the offices of senior staff, it's not surprising that the heads of RVIB were reluctant to believe Martin Stewart was only on the premises for lunch with a friend. 
when he found himself on the bottom of the stairs that day. He was confronted by the downside of his anger. He and Penny had achieved a great deal through it, but how much more was he going to be able to influence if this was the reception he received? It wasn't just institutions like RVIB who struggled with him. At one point, a group of blind people congregated at Ormond Hall in Paran to oppose Martin's protest style. On reflection, they were probably right, he says. Not about my message, but about my ways were wrong. I would be shouting all the time, using aggression, and although I felt angry, if I'd been wise, I would have been able to say exactly the same things, but in a different way. I used to be so determined about things. I wasn't a good listener. So he started to listen and learn. With guidance from trusted friends and a stalwart commitment to the process of persuasion, Martin slowly transformed his reputation. He began working with organisations instead of against them to incite change. It's no good talking about inclusion if you don't include even those that are upsetting you in your approach, he reflects. Over time, this shift in manner would lead Martin Stewart to sit on boards of organisations like RVIB, who once called the police on him. This is not to say that his newfound approach meant he abandoned protest entirely. In the years that followed, Martin continued to use direct action to make important points. In November of 1986, Martin was among those arrested for protesting the Miss Victoria pageant. Less than two years later, he married fellow activist Helen Said, and the couple staged their honeymoon on Bondi Beach to raise awareness of the sexual rights of people with disabilities. Martin and Helen were frustrated by people with disabilities being seen almost exclusively as the recipients of charity, care and love. We decided to get married and make it a public event, because we can give, including giving love, Martin says. The couple placed a flag on the beach that read sexual equality for disabled people worldwide. Martin gave out money to passers-by to demonstrate a person with disabilities' capacity to give charity as well as receive it. Then the pair got under a sheet atop of a blow-up mattress and began doing what many people do on honeymoons. They drew a crowd of about 300 people and were arrested for attempting to make love in a public place. They, the police, were good there's no doubt about it. They did what they felt they had to do, and we were doing what we felt was necessary to draw attention to a social cause. And attention they drew. The couple were invited to speak at universities and other educational institutions across the country in the wake of their protest. Another area Martin has always been passionate about is the accessibility of public transport. He vehemently opposed the removal of guards and platform attendants from trains and stations, warning that their absence increased the risk of injury to blind and low-vision passengers. In particular, the gaps between train carriages could easily be mistaken for open doors. 
Eventually, he said someone was going to be seriously injured or killed. No one expected that someone to be Martin himself. In an afternoon in 2002, he was at Richmond Station, heading home from his job as a disability advocate. The audio announcements weren't working properly, and he was distracted. Just as he predicted someone would, Martin mistook the gap between the carriages for a doorway and fell onto the tracks. An onlooker tried desperately to get the driver's attention, but the train took off and dragged Martin 200 metres before speeding away. His right arm and the bottom half of his right leg were torn off. He calls the event his lucky day. If there hadn't been someone trained in first aid on the platform to stop the bleeding, he would not have survived. It's a million to one thing that I've come out of alive, he says. Like a side, the accident took a toll on Martin and his young family. His son was three, his daughter seven months at the time of the accident. For a long time, he wasn't able to help around the house, and the rehabilitation was arduous. I never felt blind until I had my accident, he says, but the loss of his dominant right hand meant he had to relearn how to navigate his environment. Still, Martin was adamant that he was not done giving way to anger. You can easily fall into wallowing about your own circumstances, but I've made a very clear decision not to, overall. I see myself as fortunate to have gained this knowledge. I have the lived experience of being in a wheelchair as well as total blindness. Out of that, I have broadened my advocacy horizons. Now there are gap fillers being produced on Victoria's train system to prevent accidents like mine. Martin currently works as an advocacy officer for Blind Citizens Australia and continues to advocate for accessibility in sporting apps and on public transport. His most recent victory was using his accident to persuade New South Wales Transport Minister Andrew Constance not to remove train guards from the newest fleet of intercity trains. The minister agreed that the safety of passengers could not be put at risk and stood alongside Martin when he announced this decision to the press. That was a good moment, Martin reflects, with the slightest hint of disbelief in his voice. I want to be someone that people have benefited from. With thousands of lives transformed by his work, Martin Stewart could declare that mission accomplished. But he won't. A man courageous enough to face the downside of his own anger isn't likely to stop improving the world or himself. Lucky for us. Written by Anya Homburg for DRC Advocacy Leadership Series. To read about other disability rights leaders, go to drc.org.au forward slash resources forward slash blog dash inside dash voice. Screen readable versions are available. Feedback for BCA. Do you have any compliments, suggestions or concerns you wanted to let BCA know about? You can do this anonymously by going to our website bca.org.au forward slash feedback and completing a feedback form. Or you can call the BCA office toll free on 1800 033 
0860-8660. Your feedback will be used to improve our services to better meet the needs of our membership. How to make a complaint about BCA. Any member, client or volunteer or their advocate can lodge a complaint about the services provided by BCA. Complaints can be made in the following ways. Phone 1800 033 660. Email bca at bca.org.au. Website bca.org.au forward slash feedback. Post Blind Citizens Australia, Level 3, Ross House, 247 to 251 Flinders Lane, Melbourne, Vic, 3000. If there are complaints of a serious nature, the Chief Executive Officer will ask that the complaint be put in writing. Complaints will be recorded in accordance with the requirements for complaints management outlined by the Office of Disability Services Commissioner. Member and client privacy will be respected and protected in relation to the recording, management and resolution of the complaint. For a full copy of BCA's complaints policy, please go to our website, bca.org.au forward slash feedback or call the office. Funding and donations for BCA. BCA would like to acknowledge the generous work of the Geoffrey Blythe Foundation. The foundation was formed in 1995, with BCA being the primary beneficiary. We would also like to acknowledge our funding partners. The Department of Health and Human Services, DHHS Victoria, Vision Australia, the Australian Federation of Disability Organisations, Guide Dogs Victoria and our generous members. If you would like to make a donation to Blind Citizens Australia, you can call the office on 1800 033 and use your debit or credit card. You can also donate online using the Donate tab on the BCA website. All donations over $2 are tax deductible. Submit your writing to Blind Citizens News. The editor welcomes your submissions for Blind Citizens News. The deadline for contributions for the next edition is Friday 15 March 2019. Contributions can be submitted in Braille, print, audio CD or electronic format, in Word in Arial 16-point font. Send emails to bca at bca.org.au and write Blind Citizens News Submission in the subject line. For all other format contributions, please send the document to the BCA office. Submissions should be between 500 and 1,200 words in length. Submissions cannot be made anonymously, but can be published anonymously in some circumstances. The editor must be made aware of any conflict of interest which may be relevant to the author's work. Directory of contact details. National Women's Branch, including Women Talk. Contact Janine Sadu. Email nwb at bca.org.au. National Women's Branch Aspirations Magazine. Contact Carmel Jolly. Email C-A-R-M-E-L-J-O-L-L-E-Y at bigpond.com. National Policy Council. Contact Fiona Woods. Email npc at bca.org.au. New South Wales ACT State Division. Contact J. 
Joanna Diori Novo. Email joannadn76 at gmail.com. Information about the Jeffrey Blythe Foundation. Contact Bill Jolly. Mobile 0419-526-173. Email wjolly, that's w-j-o-l-l-e-y, at bigpond.com. NDIS NDIA. To find out when you will be able to access the NDIS, contact the National Disability Insurance Agency on 1800 800 110. My Aged Care Contact Centre. Phone 1800 200 422. Information for co-payments for home care packages. To find out how much you might be required to contribute, contact the Department of Fees and Charges within the Department of Human Services, Centrelink, on 1800 227 475. New Horizons Radio Broadcast Schedule. Adelaide 5RPH 1179am and on RPH Adelaide Digital. Times 9.15am Wednesday. Repeated 6pm Friday. Also on Iris, which is a linked digital radio station. Times 10.30am Friday. Repeated at 6.30pm. 10.45am Sunday. Repeated at 6.45pm. Brisbane 4RPH 1296am. Times 1.30pm Thursday, repeated 8pm. Canberra 1RPH 11.25am. Wagga Wagga 89.5FM. June 99.5FM. Times 9.15am Tuesday, repeated 8pm and again at 9.30am on Saturday. Coral Coast 94.7FM. Time 4.30pm Saturday. Hobart 7RPH 864am, Launceston 106.9fm, Devonport 96.1fm, times 11.30am Thursday, repeated 9.45pm Wednesday. Melbourne 3RPH 11.79 and Vision Australia Radio Regional Stations, RPH Albury 101.7fm, RPH Bendigo 88.7fm, RPH Geelong 99.5 FM, RPH Mildura 107.5 FM, RPH Shepparton 100.1 FM, RPH Warrigal 93.5 FM, RPH Warnable 8.82 AM, times 4.30 PM Wednesday, repeated 6.30 PM Sunday. Sydney 2 RPH 12.24 AM, Sydney East 100.5 FM, Newcastle Lower Hunter 100.5 FM times 3 p.m. Thursday repeated Saturday 2 p.m. No Saturday repeat for Newcastle Lower Hunter Perth 6 RPH 990 AM times 4:30 p.m. Wednesday repeated 6:30 p.m. Sundays You've been listening to BC News April 2020 This audio version was narrated and produced by Glenn Morrow. Thanks for listening.